Welcome to Conversations with Z and Vindesh, a weekly discussion that explores common life challenges and offers practical solutions. Learn more at dharmamedia.com. That's D-H-A-R-M-A media.com. Kicking off another episode of Conversations during these strange, strange times. Z, you and I have been talking a lot over the last few weeks, and the virus has been so front and center. We've covered a lot of ground with that. We're going to get away from that, although we're going to talk about a related phenomenon, because as everyone is hunkering down, practicing social distancing, we're coming into closer contact with family, with a very small part of our social circle. And man, it's bringing up some weird dynamics, and maybe it's stuff that's always been under the surface. Mm -hmm. And as you put it, it just speeds up the train. The train gets to the station earlier than it otherwise would. So you look at some of the stats, and this actually started in China. There's a woman I work with, and she was telling me that in China, the divorce rate has skyrocketed because people are now forced to stay in the same house for hours on end. There's no escape. And guess what? You can't tolerate the other person's company. So you've got a relationship, a marriage, a family, but you've organized it in a way where you're living your own life. Maybe there's some convenience because you're taking care of the kids, you're paying bills together, there's some economy that you get. But the whole reason that you came together in the first place has disappeared. You've forgotten what the other person is like. You've forgotten how to accommodate, how to give and take, and then you put people together in close confines, this blows up. We've seen this now in the U.S. So U.S. is maybe six or eight weeks behind China. We're seeing the same phenomenon over here. Divorce rates are skyrocketing. On a personal level, this whole experience has affected me because it's driving a wedge between me and different members of my family. We've got different views about the virus and how to respond to it, what steps to take, how serious the threat is. And having different views, in a sense, is fine. But the relationships that I have, a lot of them are based, or at least they've been based in the past, on open discussion. And I'm looked at in my family as a mentor to my younger siblings. They look up to me. They always have. They take my perspective very seriously. They look to me for a certain amount of validation. And I tend to be pretty blunt. And now we've been forced to talk about this situation that could affect all of our health, potentially. And I've been very transparent about my views, and that hasn't gotten me anywhere. I mean, that's caused pain for my siblings because they feel like I'm not taking their concerns seriously. It's caused pain for me. The last thing I want to do is hurt them. So it's just been an interesting time. I think when we're forced into such close proximity, we have to think about how do we want to nurture relationships so that we're getting something out of it so that there's some some strong foundation that's holding us together mm-hmm. beyond just the comfort of everyday routines. You mentioned boundaries. I think boundaries in my situation would have been useful. Mm-hmm. What are the limits of my relationship with the other person? Where should I go? Where should I not go? So that's really the topic for today. Maybe during this time when we're forced into much more frequent contact with those that we love, we can draw some lessons from, excuse me, we can draw some lessons 
for how to interact and how to develop stronger and healthier relationships. Mm-hmm. So as you hear all that, Z, just open us up and give us some thoughts on this concept of relationships. Maybe what we're learning right now is we're going through social distancing. And what lessons can we take away? Well, what I could um, share just from my small observation, this this thing, if everybody think of, thinks about this time that we're in closer proximity is the train speeding up, as you said, arriving at the station ahead of schedule. It was going to arrive there anyway, but now with the pressure of circumstances, it sped up that train. So it's given you an opportunity to look deeper and closer at the different relationships you have with different people. You can't just say, I'm out of here, goodbye, I have something to do. I'm busy, um, you know my schedule, I'll see you at 8, or whatever it is. And so it's going to bring out whatever was there anyway. And it's going to have less dwell time to, um, to gestate into some tangible reality. What I mean by that is you look at familiar relationships, brothers and sisters who are bound together simply by the by a, a moment of lust and, and, and the whim of fate. And you've learned to go along with them and you've developed a certain pecking order with these people, sisters, brothers, cousins, whatever, that, that these family bonds. And each of you, though, are individuals. And you have different views of, of life and what that means to you. And normally at a distance, you can skim over things and just go back to, well, we're related. Let's not get into it. We're related. Well, you know, we're family. You know, blood's thicker than water. You know, it really isn't. It really isn't. So what do we have in common? What can we share with one another? Why do we admire and respect one another? Because we pass through the same birth canal? Is that why you're respected? Or have you really listened to that person? And now when you really listen to them in close proximity, under the pressure of the external pressure of fear and anxiety, now that same person angers you. Well, now because you really get to know them. It's no longer the glue of familiarity. It has to be the actual particles of the independent personalities of each person. And you listen to that person, you realize their opinion is different than yours. Their values are different than yours. And that disturbs your universe. That disturbs the orbit. That disturbs the constancy of your planetary relationships. So my brother is not who I thought he was. No, he's always been that person, but you never thought about it. My sister's not who she thought and never thought about it. But now that we have to sit in this cell and look at each other every day, and smell each other's breath, smell our feet, now you can decide that I really love this person and I'm going to surrender to that devotion. Or you can really say, you know, I feel like a, a, a rat trapped in a cage and I want to chew my leg off to get away from this person. So it's really about going into yourself again and looking at the relationships you have 
And the hardest thing to do is be honest about it. So be real about sibling relationships. There are people who I've seen who fight with their siblings as if they were hated strangers and then make up in time for dinner. I've never understood that. My temperament doesn't work that way. Um, but I've also seen siblings that really knew each other. They really know each other. Though they're far away and they get each other. They're very different, but they get each other. I, I, I'm fortunate enough to have uh, cosmic siblings, like my best friends, who are very different than me, but they know me, and they honor my view, and they may have very different views than me on certain things, but when they hear my view, it doesn't upset them, because they understand the whole of me and how I arrived at my view. I understand the whole of them and how they arrived at their particular view, and I have created a algebra that allows me to always nurture the love I have for those people where it counts. They have always been there for me in time of deep need, be it emotionally or material need, and I for them. Um, I have a, a, a very dear friend, um, uh, one of my friends, Phil, and sometimes we just call and just talk on a pretty regular basis. We might talk about cars or life. But just to hear his voice, he said, I'm just checking in to make sure you're with me. You're here. And I do the same for him. There's something about that check-in that just grounds me. And of course, I have my, my, my oldest friend, Kevin. And he just grounds me to check in because we are the people that are close to us. Not just the people that we are familiar with. Not just family, but people who know us. And fortunately, some people are fortunate enough to have those members, family members. And what I also appreciate are the boundaries. Even with my dearest friends, I know the boundaries of those relationships and things that, that we share and what we don't share. And it doesn't distance me from them. It brings me more love. I discovered something years ago about the energy of relationships and how they can inspire and expire you. One of the first adult kind of love affairs I had was with a woman that was um, at the time in that phase of my life was just batshit crazy. But I thought she was the greatest thing since you know sliced bread. Because I had never been with a experienced woman, a crazy woman, a confident woman that I had. And one day we were in the car driving. And I was very uptight as a young man, very strict, by the book, driven. And I remember when my heart melted, when something just destroyed my whole view of the world and opened me up to a whole nother reality. We were driving across the Bay Bridge in San Francisco going to one of her art classes or dance classes or something. And I always did things with purpose and intention. Everything I did had to have a reason and a purpose. Up to that point, that's kind of how I lived my life. To the degree I live my life like that now. She opened me up to a whole new thing. She reached over and she held my hand while we were driving. I said, what's going on? What's up? You need something? 
She said, no, I'm just checking to see if you were with me. And I, I just fell apart. My life, my chest cracked open and I became putty in her hand. What did that mean to me? There was nothing behind it other than just an open heart, quiet, wordless, holding my hand, so warm, so tender, so soft. And I just dissolved and I start to understand human, unguarded human relationships, unjudged, unguarded, no pretense. And it blew me away. And that was a big change in my life. After that point, I remember how it affected all relationships. I was able to freely share with the people in my life how I felt about them. I didn't do that for them. I did it for me. It was very liberating to surrender. It was very healthy to surrender. Because anything that unburdens you, uncongests you, it was like getting rid of debris in your home, things you excess in your home. Very zen. So over the next many decades of my life, I continue to have that as a milestone of relationships. Because they're in the moment, connected to nothing. And far too often we need to have a catastrophic tragedy for us to return to that moment, to that place. But I would say before you have to tragedy has to visit you. <clears throat> Think about the people in your life and their closeness to you and also their farness away, their orbit around you, like the planets that all influence each other's gravitational pull and density. If you know a person, you know their limit. There's no reason for you to test that limit or to push them. Because nature provides for us many people and circumstances. If you're open to it, it gives you something whole. As you know, I lost uh, my father at a very young age, in my early adolescence. And right along the time I lost my father, that vacuum of fatherlessness was filled with great mentors and teachers. And I was able to pour myself into those teachings and studies, and it gave me great tools for life, probably greater than my father would have given me. There's an old saying that says, a day with your master is like a lifetime with your father. Because you don't have to earn your father's love and devotion. You have to earn that from your teacher. So you rise, you rise. So I learned to be a very loving student and became a very loving father because I didn't have that relationship. So I was able to build on the illusion of what ifs. So I would say then, like a big thing is we're going through this, um, these interesting times that 
every relationship in your life has its own gravitational tug of war with you or push and pull or give and take. As you start to appreciate that and its effect on you, as the moon affects the tides and the waves and the water on earth, as all celestial bodies that we know of have an influence on life on earth, so too all the celestial bodies in your life have a unique effect. And if we appreciate that, then we also create the boundaries. There may be things that it's better not to talk about. You can't talk about everything with everybody. For they have a different life and different sensibilities to you. And also they have other ways that your planet is pulling on them. They may have an idea of how you should be that's very different than how you are. I don't think that's a bad thing. I don't think that's a bad thing. I think it's a bad thing when we try to force relationships to be something they can't be. For that is why the relationship we have with, say, husbands and wives is supposed to be the grand display of you as a whole. My wife and I are different in many ways. And most of our conflict is really about karmic things. What I mean, law, the law of consequence and action. Um, she was raised with a very intact family, very mundane, and free from tragedies and hazards, mishaps, misfortune. I'm the opposite of that. And so the things that I long for, she takes for granted. And the things that she longs for, I often take for granted. But by understanding the nature, we can work on that and make these healthy boundaries. So we're doing very well during the confinement. We're doing very well because what I wanted from her was quality time. And she often would say that, well, I love you, I care for you. And I would say, no, if you did, you would spend time with me. Not a lot of time, but just that, okay, work is over. At a certain time of day, work is over. I don't want to talk about work. I don't want to fix anybody's problems because that's what I do all day anyway. And I love what I do. I love what I do, but I do other things too. Sometimes I just like to be in my garage doing my meditation, which is called building cars. It's my Zen gardening, and I garden and I do all that. It's very solitary, but I can share it with other people that have a like interest. But we're not saying anything to each other. Hand me the wrench. Hand me the Mmm. Mmm. A lot of grunting and quiet. Very much like being in a, in a monastery. My wife appreciates that now. She'll say to me at the end of the day, Did you get things done? I say, Yeah, I meditated a lot. I appreciate that about her. And then she'll say to me, I, I need time because she's very attentive with the children, but also she's just now building schedules for herself. And she oftentimes has trouble saying no to people. So this has forced her to, she didn't have to say no. We're shut in. 
So we're actually able to nurture the reason we're together. So it's been good for us. So the confinement has the opposite effect it has on many people. And But it also, you don't rest on your laurels. You, you really want to look at why. I'm very good with boundaries. Um, and I'm always getting better. I'm open to it. I realize that you don't know people you think you know. You only know what you know about them, but you don't know the whole of them. So healthy boundaries, healthy distance is good. So that when you are together, you can make, be together in the most positive way that's the least draining, that's the least taxing on your health, that's the least stress-inducing. And all it takes is a bit of observation and a bit of patience. So with whoever that person is, really listen and observe them and know that you can't just blurt out anything. You can't just have this, this idea of openness isn't as great as it's kind of advertised to be. Because people don't want, it's like the old movie says, not everybody wants the truth. And no one owns the truth. So taking a little caution and care in how you engage people goes a long way. You said two things that are very important, and I could use your help reconciling the two of them. So one, you've talked about being open-hearted, and you gave the story of sitting next to this woman in a car, and she held your hand, and the cage that had formed around your heart over the years opened up, the door flew open, and you felt a connection, you felt surrender in your words. All of the feelings that perhaps you'd held back came out, and maybe they came out like a tidal wave. Mm -hmm. I don't know. I'm not you, but just the way you describe it, I can get a sense of being overwhelmed by this emotion, which has been laden and brewing and never fully expressed. I think that is a lot of the power of close relationships, this idea of surrender, of the unconditional, of whatever it is that's haunting you or going through your mind, your feelings, your ideas, you have a means of expression. And it's not just expression, it's transmission. And perhaps that's part of our purpose. We're here to interact with others to amplify ourselves, we have to leverage, we have to spread our feelings, we have to spread our ideas. And if you're always sitting on that, it becomes physically uncomfortable. It becomes a very difficult way to live. And I struggled with that for years. Part of the reason I had trouble when I was growing up, I was going through grade school, through high school, even college, I never felt comfortable saying what I felt, and I've got unconventional views. A lot of what I see in this world, you put it beautifully the other day, you don't want to deal with the bullshit of humanity, the lies that we tell ourselves, the deceptions, the empty rituals, and if there is a simpler truth, I tend to gravitate towards that. That becomes threatening for a lot of people, so I got into the habit of just not opening my mouth, not expressing that I didn't agree mm -hmm. with the direction that we're headed in. I didn't agree with the need 
to pretend that we're all bought into a certain cause to celebrate or glorify things that I don't think inherently have any merit. And I just kept to myself and that inhibited some of the relationships. I had some close relationships with a small set of people. But I think that inhibited me as an individual. Again, it felt physically uncomfortable. I think it stunted me in certain ways. You met me and you said, my God, Vin, you look like you're repressed. You look like you're going to kill a bunch of people. (laughs) And frankly, there are a lot of people who've said the same thing. Some of them aren't with us anymore, but that's a separate story. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, so this has been something challenging for me. And one of the reasons that I like spending time with you and uh, I like the Dharma environment is this ability to unburden and just speak what's on my mind and in my heart. And a lot of the close relationships I have, I try and do that. And with my wife, yeah, there are certain things we're not going to agree on, but for the most part, we found a way to communicate authentically. Even if we don't perfectly agree with one another, there's enough of an understanding and safety. Mm-hmm. We're not worried about judgment, repercussions, except when I talk about threesomes, I've put that aside. I'm going to defer that, wait till she's more spiritually evolved, and then mm-hmm. we can get back she'll, to, she'll to that she'll conversation. Yeah. Yeah. So that's on the back burner. But. Being able to speak authentically and speak my mind is very important for me. I feel much more alive now than I used to. And perhaps that has colored my approach to relationships. Perhaps that has led to some of the problems with my sister, some of the problems with my parents. With my parents, I have a good relationship overall, but there's certain things where we just look at the world in different ways and then we butt heads. And so on the one hand, you talk about being open and unburdening yourself. On the other hand, you talk about setting healthy boundaries. And in my life, I found myself at one extreme or the other. When I was younger, I had the boundaries, but no expression. Now I have the expression, and in certain cases, especially when I start feeling close to people, I lose the boundaries. And I say what's on my mind. I speak my truth. Sometimes that's uncomfortable. Sometimes people don't agree. Sometimes it's hurtful, and I don't think it fulfills my needs. It doesn't do anything for the other person. It just leads Mm -hmm. to to conflict without any corresponding benefit. Mm -hmm. So I'm struggling a bit in my own life to balance the two. How do you think about that? What is the right way to mix the expression with the boundaries? How do you figure out what boundaries to set? what's appropriate for what person, and how to express yourself completely while at the same time having those boundaries in place. Buddha consciousness is, means intelligence, one who can discern and discriminate. So there will be people in your life that you can have unrestrained expression with. And there are those people who you will love deeply who you must be restrained with. Discriminate and discern who those are and the necessity of it. Not everybody needs to know everything. As in the military, you have top secret and you have top secret with need to know. Because you actually burden the person with the top secret. It puts them under pressure. So you ask, do they need to even know? Maybe they don't. 
it puts them into a bad position, a stressful situation. So honor that. I think that it's not about hiding, it's accepting that they have shared with you their worldview. They've shared with you their idyllic illusion of life. All you would be doing was disrupting that with certain people. There are other people, they don't care what you say or do, they're there for you. But maybe those people aren't able to be certain things for you in life. That is one of the things we understand about intimate relationships. There are certain things you can reveal to your wife or your spouse. Um, you know them in the most intimate way, deeply intimate way, but you also know in that intimate way how their ego, how their subconscious works and then how to navigate and negotiate that maybe they're really good at everything but they have deep insecurities abandonment issues and you know that those are so strong that you can easily trigger those with things you say or do so you know to set a boundary with that in order to maintain what the highest thing is harmony the highest thing is to do no harm the highest duty in yoga is to do no harm to yourself because mainly you're harming yourself because if you beat them up with their weakness or their frailty it just hurts you so why do that why not accept who they are as they accept who you are it's kind of like the weird thing couples do or people do with each other a woman comes in and says hey ask her hey do you think I'm fat well, you're, for, you're forcing him to lie. And now you know you forced him to lie, so there's no way to get out of that. You compare yourself to another woman. Do you want to be with her? Would you like to have sex with that woman? Of course you would. Of course I would. That's why you looked at her and picked her. But you're asking because you're putting on display your frailty, your weakness. But the guy asked him, hey, have you ever had a greater lover than me? Of course you have. He just couldn't get a job, that guy. <laughs> so she weighed a moment of bliss with a lifetime of comfort. She chose a lifetime of comfort with you, as opposed to a moment of bliss. So why put yourself in that position? Why not appreciate where you're at? Why, can't, why not be at peace with your station? And then you can do other things and work on bigger things in life. So embracing those boundaries, accepting them, knowing the limit of that tool, knowing the amount of stress you can put on something, that's a good thing to know, so you don't overstress it, so it's enduring. So there are certain people you can express a certain part of yourself. That's what I mean by we all affect each other's orbit in different ways. We all have different gravitational influences and pull on each other. Appreciate your celestial relationships. So the discrimination, the Buddha consciousness, and I agree with that. I think oftentimes in retrospect, 
it becomes easier to make these determinations. Mm-hmm. And perhaps that's just some of the life lessons that we go through. Sure. I think having that in mind, though, is an expectation that not everyone will, should be privy to everything that you think about, that you care about. Top secret would need to know. Yeah. Yeah, just having that is an underlying governing principle. Does a couple of things. It changes the way that we relate to people. It also might force us to be creative, and it goes back to knowing ourselves. Sure. So if you know that something is important to you, there's certain hobbies you have, certain interests, certain points of view, seek out relationships that enable those types of discussions. That's right. That's right. Those types of activities. That's right. Broaden your horizons. Don't feel like it's limiting. Hmm. Say, okay, you know, my mom isn't interested in my sadomasochist activity. I don't have to share that. I'll put the stuff away whenever they come over. You know? I'll put it in a closet or something. There was nobody to have that discussion with my parents. Nor do I want that discussion with them. I don't want to see ball gags and chains and my mom and dad's just sitting on the bed when I walk over the house. I don't want to know that. That doesn't hurt our relationship. We can talk about other things. I don't even want to know that. Right? Who wants to know that? So think about that with everybody you know. You know, you look at somebody, there's certain things I don't want to know about you. It's like one of the clients came, one of the students talking about their life. They say, hey, well, you know, I'm into blah, blah. I said, I don't want to know that about you. I don't even want to picture you naked. I don't even want to pitch, I don't think that in my mind, I just had lunch. I don't even want to know that, as I really want to love you and appreciate you for what you do. So certain details spare me. Healthy boundaries, man. <laughs> so the boundaries are good. That's one thing that we can take away. The other thing that we alluded to, or if we go back to the statistics discussion, all these people are getting divorced because they can't stand each other's company. And you think about how relationships have been hollowed out without any consciousness. And maybe it's the natural consequence of approaching a relationship with no intention, no consciousness. It's like if you have a garden and you don't water it, mm-hmm. you don't take care of it. And you come out years later and it's overrun with weeds. Why are you surprised? You get beyond the boundaries. You also have to have some reason to be together. There's got to be some substance behind the relationship, something to tend to. And we're talking offline for a little bit. You, you'd used a couple of interesting phrases. One is friends with benefits, which people are familiar with. You've got a friend, you fuck him. That's a friend with a benefit. Great situation. You hang out. Ideally, you like the person, you get along, you enjoy spending time with them. You have sex. You don't have to spend all your time obsessing about who you're going to meet on... Caitlin, I don't even know what these platforms are. Whatever skeevy dating platforms are out there today. There's Tinder, Hinge, OkCupid. Just call it Sexagram. Yeah, yeah, Sexagram. You're afraid you're going to meet some serial killer. You don't have to worry about any of that. So you got all that straightened out. That's an ideal situation. You take that a step further. You decide, we want to have some kids, build a family together. Great. You're in a good place. That's how it starts in ideal circumstances. Now you go from that and you start to lose a few things. If you don't spend time together, if you don't nurture that dynamic, if you allow problems to go unresolved, so you start spending more and more time together, you get different ideas about life, 
people have irritating habits, they don't clean up after themselves, they're too loud in the morning, whatever it is, that resentment starts to build up and you're no longer friends. You're just getting along. So you move from friends to acquaintances. Then you take away the sex. And <laughs> you've talked about stats. I'm curious what the source is because it sounds amazing to me, but you said that half of all, is it marriages or relationships? Married half couples. of all marriages? Half of all married couples don't have sex. So you've gone from being friends to acquaintances. You've taken away the benefits. You're not having sex. You're not being intimate. And suddenly you're just left with liabilities. You've got to pay for... Yeah, it sounds awful. You've got to pay for the kid's education. You've got to pay for the mortgage so you don't get kicked out of your house. You want to make sure that you've got good standing in the community. You need someone to go to parties and events with and look good and smile for the camera. So this is all that's holding you together. And maybe in normal circumstances, you just tolerate this and you get together periodically. And the rest of the time, you go and do your own thing. You hide out, build your cars. You've got other friends that you spend time with. Now, suddenly, we enter the apocalypse where we're forced to be with that person day in and day out. And it's like you can't escape because you've got this person that you resent every time you see them. <laughs> such a bleak picture. Yes. Yeah. Such a horrible picture. Yeah, well, th this is why the divorce rates are going up, as mm -hmm. we've talked about. There's just no fucking escape. I mean, it's like a horror movie, and it just—it's like a horror movie Groundhog Day movie, where it's the oh same God, thing the worst. over and over. The picture you're drawing again. is so bad. I get it, God. Come on. So all of this, it, I guess, the foundation of the relationship disappeared a long time ago because you never tended the garden, you never nurtured the intimacy, you never nurtured the friendship, you never got past the underlying issues. That, that's something else that I see in different contexts. People don't want to deal with conflict. Okay, fine. Maybe that leaves you in a better place today. But then you've got all these issues that fester, and it's like this open wound, and over time it builds up, and over time it comes and it bites you. So I think this time is very instructive in that it's revealing a lot of structural flaws in the way we go about relationships. Maybe it sheds some light on how we've ended up in this acquaintances with liabilities category. Instead of friends with benefits. So if we take this time, and we talked last time about using this as a period of reset and reflection, what's basic hygiene, Z? I mean, what are some of the things we need to do to cultivate a strong relationship? For one thing, relationship stress is one of the types of stresses, like in the top, I'd say the top five stresses that can kill you, right? There, there are statistics that show that people in unhealthy relationships also have many, many other health issues associated with the, the, uh, the deep-seated stresses and the constant stresses of unhealthy relationship dynamic. You said the word unresolved, the words unresolved conflict. You said unresolved, made that statement, unresolved conflict. And you have to ask yourself, what are the conflicts? And most of the time, the conflicts are very simple. They're oftentimes a war of egos, right? Um, who's on first? Who's in charge? Who's the boss? These types of things um, are petty skirmishes, as it's said in the Art of War, Sun Tzu Art of War, and uh, Mashimoto's Book of Five Rings. You think about big conflicts, big battles, and petty skirmishes. 
as I've said before, they both take the same amount of energy and resources. But one gives you very little and one gives you a lot. A petty skirmish gives you very little. But you are susceptible to the same amount of casualties as a big battle. What's worth fighting about? So conflicts, when you go to bed and walk around with conflicts, most of the time it's not worth it. Most conflicts you're in are not worth it. You said something this way and I said it that way. You said this to that person and I said, I mean, these are really petty skirmishes that as they add up, they're just like acid in your eyes in the relationship, just salt in a wound. So coming to terms with investing in loss, as we've talked about before, so much stuff you can let go of. There was a time when my wife and I were going through a, a, a rough season and she was reading all kinds of books and thinking about going to therapy and thinking of couples therapy and da 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 da. And, and, and I just used kind of the Tao and I said, what is the real problem I have with her? What is my frustration? What has got my stomach bleeding? And for me, it came down to just a simple, regular time together that did not involve work, that didn't, and, 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 and uh, because I'm, I've been doing this a long time, I'm really good at boundaries. When I cut off, when I stop doing something, I stop doing it. I don't carry it with me. My wife would meet me at the door and want to discuss work. Or, and then as minute she did that, I would shy away. I would pull away from her. And I would go back into my work professional mode. I would armor myself. And after a while, imagine you sell your, your, it's a war, and you're armoring yourself over and over. Now you have your bulletproof vest on, you have your shield, you got your helmet, your goggles, your gas mask, you got extra ammo. And every time she says something about work, I'm armoring myself up. So by the time she's through talking about work, I'm so laden with armor, there's no way for us to have closeness. And I feel like she's literally attacking me. I didn't, it, it doesn't come off as that, but that's what it feels like. You walk through the door and you're bombarded with stuff. So by the end of the day, when I finally am ready to rest, I'm pulling away from her because I just had to armor myself. So I would tell her, you know, we need boundaries. And then she would immediately explain to me why it was urgent and it had to be done. And after a while, everything was urgent. Everything was urgent. I got to talk to you about this and talk to you about that. It's the only time I get to talk to you about it. And I got to da 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 da. So it was all liability. And so I was find myself running away from her, avoiding her at all costs. But I love my wife. I don't love that. I love my wife underneath. I don't love the liability. I don't love all that. I love her. So I just need to deal with her. So when we start going through everything, oh, she would go to therapy. No, I just need you. For a lot of people, that's all it is. That's why I married you. I didn't marry you to have a fight every night when I walked through the door. So first, I had to be clear with me that she wasn't my enemy. Because I used to actually think, oh, this lady hates me. She actually hates my guts. Because I walked through the door... And I mean, I get shit thrown at me where I'm actually shielded up in full armor, full battle dress uniform, 
and I'm hesitating opening my front door. And I would talk to her about it, and she couldn't see that. She couldn't get it. These are urgent things. But, you know, I finally said to her, there's nothing more urgent than us peacefully coexisting. There's nothing more urgent than that. Because if we don't peacefully coexist and nurture each other, none of this other shit counts. And everybody suffers. And so we, we kind of moved away from that, but there's still old habits that would come up. So during the Kofifi apocalypse that we're having, we actually get along really well. Because that's real clear. I'll ask her, and she'll have a snap at me, though. I'll ask her. She says, okay, i got to do these 50 things, and then I say, no, do 10 things. Let everything else can wait because I want you rested. My fantasy with her is that she's taking naps on a regular basis just so she's rested and chill because her temperament is to serve and aid all these other causes, right? So many of us are just frenetic, like the constant movement. And what I found about stillness is when you're still, you see everything. You know what I mean? When you're quiet, you hear everything. You can't talk and listen at the same time. Did you know that about the human being? We can't talk and listen at the same time. And if, we're, if it's too noisy, we can't hear anymore. That's why people go into the wilderness and they're terrified. Because they can hear things they normally don't hear. Crickets, dragonflies, leaves falling. Oh, what's going on? Is that a bear? No, it's peace. It's peace. So <clears throat> what we all can gain from that is oftentimes it's not as complex relationship dynamics as we make them. Deconstruct, go back to the basics. Why are we even here? And then understand and accept the accumulated liabilities from the birth of the child or the needs of the children, the choices of lifestyle which can also overly tax a relationship. If you externalize your relationship and your idea of a good lifestyle is compared to others, you're going to take away from the relationship. Remember about we talked earlier about gravity. The gravitational pull of your identifying with other celestial bodies, what the neighbors have, what the neighbors are doing, are going to pull and affect the gravity of your relationship. And you have to ask, is it worth it? And usually if you ask yourself, is it worth it, it's not worth it. So whatever the neighbors are doing has no bearing on you. And remember intimacy, you think about when you say intimacy into my mate. As you mentioned, the garden, you have to take time. I'm growing a garden outside and you have to water it every day. You have to turn the soil. You have to put worms in the garden. You have to do all these little things, <clears throat> not big things. But a bunch of little things you have to do with the garden to make there be a nice harvest. So to a relationship, it's not big things, it's little things. So first, maybe doing a yantra. Let's do a yantra of that relationship and do it like the planets. Let you be the sun in the middle of your universe. And all the hovering celestial bodies, here's your wife, 
you know, like Mercury just floating around. Here are the kids, you know, they're like the Earth and Mars further out. Here are the parents and in-laws outside of there. And inside there, there are comets and asteroids of your good friends that come and visit your life and disrupt everything in, in either a healthy way or an unhealthy way. And you can see how life is working out. And while you're confined with each other, always having that mantra that is gift and liability. How do I get the most gift out of my relationship? And then you add that to your uh, devotion, your devotional practice of honoring time. Those 24 hours in a day. Hopefully we're getting eight hours of sleep. We don't have to work the regular hours anymore. So we have a lot of hours to be with each other now. A lot of hours. And those are hours you decide on nurturative hours. There are duty hours, of course, with the children, uh, uh, managing them and doing all that if you have children. <clears throat> but they don't often need a lot if you govern them a certain way. Give them random stuff to do and then make sure they don't, you know, uh, stick their mouth in a wall socket or something like that. It's not that hard, right? Keep them occupied. If they need diapers, you change diapers. If, if they're doing other stuff. And then that takes X amount of time. And some parents are better at that than others. But you just to make sure, you know, your kids don't kill each other. That's, that's like a big part of parenting. Then after that, as the day wears on, 6.30, 7 o'clock, you start thinking about how to nurture that relationship. You guys might sit up and just chill or do Netflix or quietly sitting next to each other reading different books, whatever you're doing, and uh, you know, have a lot of sex. Make sure it's like, talk to your partner, what do you want, what do you like. Um, some days you do me and some days I'll do you because there's an exchange right? Um, tolerances, putting up with each other's stuff. And that actually offers gift to the relationship. Because what does it say? I care enough about you. I value you enough to get, get out of my own way. Because usually it's good for everybody. It's good for the kids when the parents are in harmony. It's good for the individual because it's an expression it's 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 a really materially a material less expression of I give a fuck about you. When you say Vin, it's like I care about you, and I'm glad that you're happy with me. Right? I mean, I, I, is that a good way of putting it? I don't know. Yeah, I think that is a good way of putting it. I think <clears throat> just some basic human connection that. As you're talking, a few ideas are coming to mind. One, you talk about how when you're quiet, you can see things and you can hear things. And that's so much of what we talk about in this dispassionate observer philosophy, being able to understand cause and effect. Mm -hmm. So having that human connection, you can almost step back and think about everything that's interrupting the connection, everything that's preventing some exchange of energy, some rejuvenation, the reason I love my relationship with my kids is that it's energy giving. I come back and there are big smiles on their faces and I'm happy and we're dancing around. So it's replenishing in both directions. And then when I look at other relationships, 
it's either can I move that relationship to a certain point where it is giving me energy, I'm getting something valuable, mm-hmm. or let me either get rid of it or limit the amount of time and energy that, that I'm putting into it. And I think having that dispassionate view, if we can step back from the day-to-day emotions and all of the prejudices that we bring along, it becomes very useful. If I look at my relationship with my wife, a couple of things come to mind. There have been times when I felt disconnected from her. And as I started to look at this, it turns out it's a pretty simple problem. It's called a cell phone. And when you take your cell phone to dinner and you take it to bed, and you carry it around, or it's like a, a dog that you've got on a little leash and you're taking it wherever you go, that's like putting up a wall between yourself and the other person. So that simple thing mm-hmm. is having a huge impact on a relationship. Mm-hmm. But instead of feeling jilted or upset or resentful, I can step back, I can identify the problem, and we can do something about it. I think anxiety for me is another one. I've seen the times that my wife really acts out and says hurtful things are the times when she feels afraid about something. And that perspective has helped me avoid these petty skirmishes that you're talking about. If I know where it's coming from, I take it less personally and I can move on and and better manage it. So I think if we're able to have that more dispassionate viewpoint, things to your point are pretty simple. I mean, you can see what the cause and effect is. You can see how to interact with people as human beings in a way that is nurturing. What I'm curious about is, what are some of the habits that we bring? So when we don't have that dispassionate view, what are some of the most toxic things that you've seen people bring to relationships that are, are going to damage our health? You inspire me. And I always say that, and everybody listening to us knows that. Um, I picture what you just said, and what I would answer is frenetic movement, endless agitation. If we could be still 30 minutes a day, at some point in the day, schedule in stillness. Because that's one of the most toxic things I've seen is people can't be still. To dwell in a place of quick peace, solitude, and harmony in order to establish the next trend. So when you're constantly in a frenetic state of get this done, get this done, go, 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 move, move, one more thing, you are not embracing or nurturing harmony. In order to embrace harmony and stillness, one has to master the yin-yang, the line in the middle, the nothing. Because everything starts from nothing. And if you have no starting point, You have no switch, no gauge. It just go, 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 burn, 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 burning from both ends. And so there's no time. There's no quiet. There's no silence. There's no clear view. So I would say one of the most destructive things people could do is monkey barring from one thing to another. And if you're monkey barring from one thing to another, There's only danger in between the next monkey bar. So you're constantly moving in. It's going back to the rat wheel. So I would say the lack of stillness, the lack of dwelling in harmony, is one of the most destructive things people can do. The answers to problems come come to you when you're in a contemplative place, when you sit and you're quiet. 
The end of panic is when you're still and quiet. The end of chaos is when you sit still, wherever you're at. And I mean the stillness in the mind. Then you can witness all things. So the lack of stillness is one of the most destructive things people can do. And now that you're forced to be still, the endless movement of the mind is amplified. It is the loudest thing in the room, is the anxiety. So now you can even hear your anxiety into the point where it's a piercing, cutting sound in your head. And you can witness yourself in chaos, which is like a horror movie with no ending. So to consciously work on stillness 30 minutes out of the day, especially during the, 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 the apocalypse here. The kids are in bed, if you have kids. All duties are done. Punch the clock. There's nothing to do for 30 minutes. And it's going to be very difficult because that vacuum of quiet will invite into all your, your nastiness. You're going to check your cell phone, check your internet. Uh, Caitlin's checking her sexogram, clicking right, clicking left. <clears throat> you got to just leave it alone because Boris and, and, and Hogan or whatever from Latvia, these guys who are, Caitlin's telling me how she's getting catfished all the time. <laughs> that can wait. She can just wait. Because when you're through with the stillness, she'll be real clear. She'll say, hey, you know what? Oh, Hans there is really a, 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 a guy um, in prison. Right? She's, she's real clear. And so, too, with us in relationships and marriages of all kind, we're just still and we can sit there and say, why the fuck am I with you? Because I like you. And my heart is open to you. And that plant has not been nurtured in a long time. And when you're still, you know, you can you come out of that and if you don't do anything but just sit together. Have you ever done that? Just let's just sit. Yeah, yeah, it's a beautiful thing. It's so cool, isn't it? Yeah, you feel reconnected, you talk about interesting things. You're shutting the TV off which is always on in the background and you've got people in their individual cocoons. You're sitting next to each other, but you're miles apart. You get rid of that and suddenly you're tethered in a way to each other. Stillness. Stillness. 30 minutes. And if nothing comes out of that but, a, but clarity, just clarity, and that's a good thing. That's a great thing that you're clear. Not the liabilities, not what's coming, just the two of you together. Let's say if this becomes horror movie-like and it gets deeper, they're saying you're going to hunker down even longer. There are so many things you can do when you're still. There's so much peace. We can be okay rationing our time, energy our energetic resources, our cosmic spiritual resources. Just get quiet. And then you'll see that everything else becomes very loud. And you can hear very clearly. 
but you have to be quiet and still. And I would say, as we end this, we're always about health. Even as I talk about the stillness, I calm down. Blood pressure goes down. Stress and strain goes down. Energy goes up. feel like working out. Look forward to hanging out with my family. Glad to be with you. Glad that we're all here together. But you can only experience that, experience that when you're still. Yeah, yeah, I think there's a huge power in relationships. And I feel that at times when I see my kids or I hug my wife or I see my parents after a long time, and there's just a sense of safety and, and peace and transcendence. And that's why relationships are so important. It's fundamental to us. So we can take this time. We talked either last time or the time before about using this period for introspection. We can use it to do some of the things we've discussed, which is understand boundaries, the limitations of different relationships, respecting those boundaries, to encourage harmony across all of the people who are part of our lives. And go back to the basics. Make sure that there's a reason you're together with the people in your life. You nurture that reason. You don't call them just when you need something. Remember, harmony is a, is, is a form of, of diplomacy. Not everybody in your life has to think exactly the way you think believe in exactly what you believe in. But there's a benefit to them in your life. And if you focus on that benefit, like a great ambassador, you promote the harmony you need with healthy boundaries. I think about something my oldest child said to me, my daughter. <clears throat> it's a great lesson she gave me many, many years ago. I used to be so busy running around doing things and we were on one of our long weekends together and I decided to do any everything she wanted to do. Go to this thing and that thing and the dollhouse and this and get her hair done and I did all this stuff with her and then we went to a movie she wanted to see that was along with a parade or fair or something. And it was exhausting. It was truly an exhausting day. But I said, I'm going to be just whatever she wants to do today. And as we went home and I was sitting with her, and she was sitting across my lap, exhausted and happy. And she looked up at me as she was about to doze off. And she said, Dad, let's always have fun. And she just fell asleep. I said, okay, baby girl, that's life, that's it. It's what we make of it. And for her, that was the most important thing is that we enjoyed each other's time together and we went to bed with a smile. And she said, let's never stop having fun. And that's how she fell asleep in my arms. Now we can apply that universally when we say goodbye to a dear friend. That was fun. Glad you're my life. And with our intimate partner, to just finish the day on a good note, 
Just mm-hmm. finish the day on a good note. Not angry, turned away from each other. But just on a good note. We, we can choose that. And when people choose that, there is harmony. When you choose that, you're healthy. When you choose that, you go to bed in an anabolic cycle, in a recovery cycle. You don't go to bed ready to fight. You don't go to bed guarded. You don't finish your day looking uh, at a week of battle coming. So you begin the day right. You begin the day anew. Right? Yeah. Yeah, you do. Good words for tough times. Hey, tough people. If you enjoyed the show, please consider leaving a review on Podbean, iTunes, or your favorite podcasting app. Every five-star review allows us to share more unique and insightful content. Learn more at thedispassionateobserver.com. Thanks for listening, and please tune in again next week. Peace.